When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Forward Progress on the Hammer Betting Network on this Tuesday, November 7th. We've got an action-packed show. We'll discuss the Monday night football game, including did you see Aaron Rodgers throwing? I don't think there was enough tweets about that yesterday. Some film analysis on two specific games from last week, and we'll discuss uh, the AFC North and, and who we expect to come out of it as the champion. If you're not already, you should really subscribe, hit the notifications bell. We do content every Monday to Friday, 2 p.m. You don't want to miss it. It's great, great content. Of course, none of this will be possible without our sponsor, Pinnacle. Pinnacle is the world's sharpest sports book and available to betters in Ontario. Find out what the pros have known for the last 25 years. Everyday competitive odds, your trusted sports book, bet smart, bet pinnacle, must be 19 plus in Ontario. Please play responsibly. With that being said, I'm your host, George Sulfides. And on Tuesdays, I'm joined by Sharp Clark, NFL originator, betting analyst at 4for4.com. And Clark, I want to start with the Monday night football game because uh, Aaron Rodgers went out without a boot and he started slinging 55 yard uh, downfield throws. I guess my question is a two parter, Clark. Are you starting to believe he will return this year? And my next question is can the Jets win enough games to at least give him a shot in December to play meaningly meaningful football? Yeah. I, the second question first, yes, I think they can. I, I mean, I think Aaron Rodgers is engaged because he thinks this team can still be relevant when, if he gets back, I don't, I don't have any insight into the medical stuff. Like it seems pretty crazy that he's as far along as he is. And, you know, we always get so sure about timelines when everybody is different and every situation is different. So I wouldn't rule it out. Um, but I do think this Jets defense is good enough to win some games on their own. They already have won some games on their own, basically. Like their offense has been terrible. But um, even last night, you know, they they had lost three fumbles and had a punt return touchdown and they were still in that game late. Like against a, a decent Chargers team. So th this is a Jets squad that can beat bad teams. And there's a few, a few, you know, games on their schedule that they should be able to win on the, on the back of their defense. And uh, whether they get a new quarterback, you know, it certainly seems like they should have kept Mike white <laughs> personally, but um, you know, one way or another, they can definitely win some games. Well, uh, Jets offense wasn't the only one that had some blunders yesterday. The Chargers offense did not look good against the Jets. They averaged less than three and a half yards per play. Uh, part of that is the Jets defense being so good, but also they've now lost Mike Williams and Josh Palmer. And all of a sudden a receiving core of Keenan Allen, Jaden Guyton and uh, Quentin Johnson does not feel very good. Clark, how good is this Chargers team? They're sitting at four and four, but do they feel like a playoff team? No, not really. They're, they're not, they're not good enough in their current state. I, I think Justin Herbert is. I've, I've soured on him a little bit over the last two years. And, you know, maybe some of that is injury related. I, I don't know. What I am seeing is, is a quarterback who can really capitalize when his receivers get separation, can really punish defenses downfield, make all the throws, make really good decisions, read defenses, evade sacks. 
but he doesn't elevate a team that doesn't have talent. And that's something that he struggled with over his entire career, really. Um, and I don't think this is a team that has a good enough defense or a good enough set of weapons to uh, to really make noise in what is a very competitive AFC. Uh, they might they might sneak into the playoffs. Like when anytime you have a quarterback that's that good, uh, if they stay healthy outside of you know the people that are already injured, if Quentin Johnson Johnston steps up, um, but it's not a team that I'm really looking to you know capitalize on some of the high prices we're seeing in the market right now. Clark, uh, yesterday I incentivized the audience that if we got the 50 likes, uh, Suma and I would sing Take Me Home Country Roads. Uh, I don't know what I can do to incentivize the people, but if we get the 50 likes, Clark and I will do something by the end of the show. We'll do some sort of talent show, some uh, some sort of hidden talent. Dan Rivera asked a, a good question. Um, Packers have been a bad first half team, and then for whatever reason, they're much better in the second half. The Chargers are good early in the game. They struggle late. I remember last year, uh, Philly had the same dynamic. They really uh, started off games hot, and then maybe they took their foot off the pedal and let teams backdoor cover a lot in the second half. And then a team like the Cardinals last year where you know Cliff Kingsbury was scripting 15 plays and they weren't very good, were bad in the first half. And once they let Kyler like cut loose and just play like a little bit of playground football, they were a better second-half team. What do you attribute to some teams having drastic – first half versus second half performances. I mean, we, we can chalk it up to variance in a game or two, but like when you get to week nine or 10 and we see a pattern, what do you chalk it all up to? Sometimes it is just variance. Sometimes there are things about the team that change, you know, with the Packers, they've been playing uh, with a deficit and a lot of second halves of these games. And when they've been playing with a deficit, they've been much more, you know, kind of drop back and chuck it downfield. And that's led to some, you know, capitalizing against defenses that are kind of playing a little bit softer, you know, not leaning as heavily into the run game. Um, and that's worked out for them. But I don't really think that it's it's any kind of signal. I mean, granted, this past week, it was the second half, you know, with the lead that they did well against the Rams. So that doesn't account for everything. But yeah, I mean, it's a short-term variance game. I don't typically, unless there's an actual sort of, you know, decision-making or element about the team, like last year's Eagles really got sort of run heavy in the second half when they played with the lead. And so, you know, taking your foot off the gas really does decrease some of the scoring opportunities, uh, things like that. Um, or if you have a, a defense that really tees off, uh, you know, with the lead like the Cowboys do, like their pass rush becomes ferocious when the when they know that the offense is in a passing situation. So sometimes those kinds of things can really play into it. But, but no, I, I don't think there's any, you know, uniform reason why that happens i think it's just short-term variance and I, I wouldn't lean too heavily into it yeah um gonzalo says 50 likes give us the winners this coming week we don't give out picks but you know maybe if we get to 50 likes we'll give you a play that we like that's still on the board I, maybe we'll do that you guys got to get to 50 likes for us to even consider it uh clark we do some film review here and uh when you told me that you wanted to cover the falcons vikings my first thought was why and my second thought was all right let's let's talk about the falcons and vikings why did you want to talk about this game specifically and what were you seeing in the game? Well, I think this is an important game uh, to evaluate the Falcons quarterback situation because, you know, we, we finally got Heineke, right? We've been complaining about Ritter all year or other people have. Um, and, you know, Heineke was supposed to be the the answer to this offense that Ritter wasn't. And I, I watched the film. I watched every snap. I graded it. And I'm telling you that Taylor Heineke was not the answer. Um, you know, you can look at the box score and say, well, the Falcons scored 28 points. You know, Heineke had 268 yards passing. So, you know, he, he didn't make as many turnovers as Ritter. He did have a bad pick, but, you know, he didn't turn the ball over as frequently as Desmond Ritter. So maybe he is the upgrade. Maybe they should stick with him. But 
when you when you dig into it a little bit closer, you know, when Josh Dobbs came in, he took a safety in the end zone, giving a short field. He fumbled the ball and gave the Falcons the ball on their on the one yard line. And then he fumbled it again and gave the Falcons the ball on their own 30 yard line. Uh, and so when you add up all these situations, you know, the Falcon the Falcons only scoring 28 points isn't really that impressive given how many advantage situations they had. Um, and on, on the game or the game sort of what would have been the game winning drive that the Falcons had when they went up 28, 24, it was not Heineke. Uh, the first play was a pass. After that, it was run, 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 including a run on third and three run, run, run. Granted the third down run was a scramble by Heineke. So it was pass play, but it was a run, 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 including a run on third and three and then run, run, run for the touchdown. It, it wasn't Heineke. He didn't do anything that Desmond Ritter wasn't doing. And I don't, I think we know who Heineke is and we, and maybe we know who Desmond Ritter is, but I see more potential for growth from Ritter still. And I think if I was the Falcons, I would be considering going back to Ritter. I'm not sure what their decision is going to be this week, but I think that there's a possibility uh, to the dismay of many fans, they might go back to Ritter and I wouldn't blame them. Um, On the other side, I don't really have much on, on Dobbs. He came in and looked like a quarterback who hadn't had any time to prepare and made a lot of mistakes and then just kind of backyard balled his way to the victory, which was really impressive. But you know, I, I had this status from last week that Josh Dobbs to save the day. And it's it's exactly what Vikings fans want. They're excited about this. They're like, hey, we can make the playoffs in this NFC. Look at the way things are falling out. And I think that's exactly right for the Vikings. And, and I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, genuine optimism. I also want to see Jaron Hall out there again because he looked pretty good uh, when, when he gets healthy and out of the concussion protocol. So um, I think lots to look forward to with the Vikings, especially with Justin Jefferson set to return. Yeah, I didn't want to read too much into Minnesota's offensive performance just because um, <laughs> there's like, what do you take out of a game with extenuating circumstances? It's literally uh, reactionary. Everything from Dobbs was reactionary as opposed to knowing the playbook and, and being methodical. I thought Atlanta had two interesting takeaways. Uh, first of all, Johnu Smith, I had no idea that he was capable of taking a bubble screen to the house. Like, I uh, there's no way I would have thought that in a million years, but I, I I think what Heineke gives you that Ritter doesn't, and this is not all good, uh, but it's also not all bad. He was like third in average depth of target, seventh in air yards, but twenty fourth in success rate. He literally increases the variance. He can give you the higher high, but a far lower low, and it all depends on what Ar- Arthur Smith wants from his offense. And I'm just curious, Clark, do you uh, profile Atlanta more? as an over team uh if if Heineke is in there just because you have a little bit wider swings as far uh, as on a play-by-play basis not really um because I think Heineke also you know and I know I know that Desmond Ritter's had a lot of turnovers so this might sound like a weird thing to say but I think Heineke also creates opportunities for turnovers you know when you're you're driving the ball you're moving the field and then you turn the ball over like that kills overs um and so I think I think that kind of offsets it. And and Gonzalo asked exactly what it is that I'm seeing on the tape. And it's, it's inconsistency from Heineke. It's uh, you know, a lot of missed throws granted they didn't have Drake London in this game. So that is something to consider. Uh, But it was, it was just way too many passes that had no chance of being caught. Like Desmond Ritter makes mistakes too. So this isn't like a, you know, Desmond Ritter is clearly better, better than uh, Heineke, but it was, it was how frequently the drive stalled. And then late in the game, when it was on his shoulders, the, the pick was absolutely terrible. And so the play calling, 
yes, it's not Heineke's fault that they called all those runs, but what does it say about the coach's trust in him as a passer that they're, they're running the ball on third and three consistently with the game on the line? Like that's a passing down. That's when you need to trust your quarterback. And I think the coaching staff saw how inconsistent Heineke was being, that they couldn't rely on him. And that's why they ran the ball like that late in the game. Yeah, it, it'll be also interesting to see how they look with Drake London in there, but a lot of uncertainty from there. Uh, Rami says in the chat, is Cincinnati contenders and Miami pretenders now? We will talk about Cincinnati later in the show, and Miami's on by, so I'm not going to incite uh, a violent riot reaction that you want from me. I refuse to play games with you guys this week. Let's talk about the Bears and the Saints. Uh, Clark, I took the Saints with my survivor pick, and my God, I... I don't know how stressed, why I was so stressed in this game. I want to start with the with the Bears, uh, but it also pertains to the Saints. The Saints, like, they lose contained an outside edge on so many plays, like on Bajant runs where literally three defenders are going the same direction. And just cutting in, you'll lose three defenders, which is poor uh, team tackling. Like, you're taught to, 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 to contain and everybody stay in their lane and force a, a defender into one of the defenders as opposed to all pursuing it. Like, on one play, Mooney gets the ball out wide. Three guys are in full pursuit. He cuts in and loses all three defenders and gets like 10 extra yards on it. I thought um, I thought uh, Cole Komet's touchdown catch uh, on the first drive was like ridiculous. First of all, no business throwing it. It should have been it should have been picked. And somehow Komet makes this fantastic catch. Um, I like the Bears run game. I thought I always thought that the Bears run game was really dependent on Justin Fields and, and how he creates so much. Uh, attention with his legs but they've ran the ball really well in the weeks without him um so so i've noticed that about chicago uh, i also like how badgett moved in the pocket avoiding multiple sacks he's not a statue he's gonna he's gonna mm -hmm. try to create something with his uh with his legs uh two things that i notice about the saints um and, and you know there's so much to say about the saints you could talk about how they needed a plus five turnover differential to win a game like just crazy because they didn't capitalize on opportunities. But Dennis Allen is such a, a negative EV coach. It was third and two and they get the stop. And instead they choose to accept a penalty to make it third and 12 as opposed to fourth and, and, and two. Mind you, it would have still been a 40 yard field goal. So he doesn't even take them out of field goal range. And the only thing I could think of was like, are they scared the bears were going to go for it on fourth and two, which I don't think they would have. But my point is, why are you scared? If, if every single defensive drive, you got a team into a fourth and two decision. You're doing pretty damn good as a defense. And, and to shy away and take a, a, a accept a penalty that the Bears then turn into a first down on the next play feels so, so foolish. And, and the other thing that bothers me is I don't like Pete Carmichael's uh, scheme. I think the Saints actually have talented pass catchers. I think Olave is very good. I think uh, Shahid is explosive. Like Derek Carr is seventh in air yards and 10th in average depth of target. And yet they're like, middle of the pack in yards after catch like there's they they don't have anything that creates anything after the catch every one of olave's catches he's tackled immediately and i'm i'm just wondering like are they incapable of creating a scheme to to create some uh some um you know after the catch offense I don't like the Saints offense and, and i'm going to be weary about uh ever ever looking at them as a favorite again all, all I did was take them in Survivor, but my my God, it was more of a sweat than I thought it would be. 
Yeah, I mean, it shouldn't have... I also had them in Survivor. I was never... I mean, they looked bad in the first half. Like, the Bears the Bears' offense was really effective. And, and you know, they play... The Saints play aggressive man defense. And so that's... You can see that when they're, like, over-pursuing and then the QB scramble, like, gets to the edge. Like, that is so predictable against a defense like that. I didn't see Tyson Bajant being able to do that, you know, yeah. like, the same way that you would expect Justin Fields to. So... Um, so that was a little bit shocking. But once they figured that out in the second half, the Bears had nothing going for them. There was so many opportunities for the Saints to put that game away, and they didn't. Um, but I never felt like – I never I never felt worried when the Bears had the ball. In fact, you know, I was kind of like, oh, the Bears had the ball. This could be like a t- pick six or something. Like it was it was really terrible in the second half. Um, but one thing that I liked about uh, the Saints offense that, that there's kind of been a growth for them is – their red zone play has gotten better. Like it was a major, major problem early in the year. And mm-hmm. part of it was you're having Derek Carr drop back and expect these guys to win in short space that are better in the open field. What they've done is they put in Taysom Hill much, much more. And this is what I was hoping for, you know, from the Saints offenses. They can bully people up front with Taysom Hill. Like they get an extra man because he takes the snap. And then even having Taysom Hill fake that run and throw the pass out of it, like you're getting defenders confused now. And I think having that package as a, as a feature of this offense and not just a gadget play, I think is really, really good for their red zone prospects, especially considering how Derek Carr has struggled throughout his career. So I I'm more optimistic on the saints in the second half. They didn't really need to do much and they didn't do much. Um, My other takeaway from this film was the bears defense and offensive line are both playing better than they have all year. And I think a lot of that has to do with injuries. Like teams that are bad that have a lot of injuries don't get a lot of uh, sort of, you know, highlighting of like, man, they're missing all these players because they're like, oh, they're the Bears. But they've been playing without secondary, they, early in the season, they were playing without secondary players and offensive linemen consistently, and now they're healthy. Um, yeah. And they look like a team that has a few, you know, kind of structural elements that are working for them. And so, you know, if Justin Fields comes back, it's possible that he looks better than Tyson Bajant did and, and kind of gives this team some life down the stretch, which I'm not even sure, you know, what the point of that would be. But um, just from a week-to-week basis, I think, this might end up being an underrated Bears team down the stretch. Yeah, Braxton Jones was back for this game, uh, first game back. The run game has gotten going, and then if Komet emerges and is a number two option, suddenly, you know, uh, you've got uh, DJ Moore, Cole Komet, a couple pass catchers, a good run game. Suddenly this offense is is not, not bad at all. Um, Clark, let's go into the AFC North. I think we all said this was the best division in football before the season. And like nothing has dispelled that at all. They have the best record of all divisions against non-divisional uh, divisional opponents. Uh, everyone is five and three at minimum. If the playoffs started today, uh, they would all be in the playoffs. They'd be the entire wild card in the AFC. Uh, I want to start off with the Baltimore Ravens, um, who I get I I I had no choice but to upgrade them. I, I think they are, if not the best, the second best team in football right now. Clark, what do you like? What are you optimistic about Baltimore? And then what do you dislike? And what what do you have from a concern perspective? I mean, there's nothing really not to like about this Ravens team. I mean, Lamar Jackson, when pressure gets to him quickly, is still a big question mark for me. Uh, He's done a lot of his damage this year with a clean pocket, with time to operate. Uh, Some of that he does create on his own, obviously. So that, you know, it's kind of offsetting. But but I still would like to see him handle a a heavy blitz, a heavy pass rush consistently in a tough game. And I still haven't seen that. Like even when they, you know, destroyed the Seahawks and destroyed the Lions, neither one of those teams were able to really get pressure consistently on Lamar Jackson. So, um, you know, maybe his offensive line plays so well that it doesn't matter, kind of like it did, um, you know, in the the year when he went 14 and two. 
Um, but I, I, I still need to see that. Uh, but other than that, their defense is elite. Their you know, passing game is much more diverse and successful than it has been in the past. And Lamar is relying much less on creating plays out of structure. Um, so yeah. I think this is the best iteration of the Ravens we've ever seen with Lamar Jackson. Um, and I think there's there's nothing not to like about this team. Yeah, I, I like that they're fourth in offensive success rate, uh, that they have success through the air and they can run really well. Uh, I like that they're second defensively in EPA per play. You know, I'm going to nitpick because you got to pick out something that maybe is a concern. They lead the league in sacks, but they're the fifth worst team at creating pressure. It, it's such a strange skew of like every single time they do get pressure, the blitz gets home. I don't think those two things uh, can overlap for the rest of the year. Something is going to have to... Uh, regress either positively or negatively and i think that would be if i'm nitpicking that would be the one thing that i pull out of it what about the cleveland browns what do you like what are you optimistic what do you dislike or have concerns about i i mean the defense is great but i i hate their offense i think they're terrible uh, even with deshaun watson they're they're not moving the ball consistently or effectively um there's nothing fluid about the way deshaun watson is playing they lost another offensive lineman this week in Jedrick Wills. I mean, you could argue that maybe he wasn't that great to begin with, but he was a starter. And, you know, now they've lost, I think, both tackles. Yeah. Um, you know, their run game has has not really hit the hit the uh anywhere near the level it was when they had Nick Chubb healthy. Um, and I, I didn't I just haven't seen an uptick in their offense with Deshaun Watson. Like maybe, you know, his shoulder gets healthy, but like this goes back to you know, even before he got to Cleveland, like I've been down on Deshaun Watson and, and how many games does he have to play? How many excuses of, Oh, well, the weather was bad. Oh, well, his shoulder hurts. And before it just is like, this guy doesn't care. This guy doesn't, isn't a good football player. And the problem when you have a dynamic like that, when you have an elite defense carrying a bad offense is defenses get hurt. Like there's 11 guys on the field and it's very rare that you go through a whole season without anyone meaningful getting hurt. The Eagles did it last year, which was kind of lucky, but uh, but generally, because of how symbiotic the defense is, right, pass rush is directly relevant to coverage. If, if the pass rush gets home fast, you only have to play coverage for a couple seconds. And the longer the play goes on, the more likely it is the receiver wins. Uh, and if your coverage gets worse, then your your pass rush suffers because the quarterback can get the ball out quicker when the receiver is getting open. It's pretty pretty simple. But all it takes is one or two injuries, and the defense really struggles. We see this with Buffalo. We see this in reverse with teams getting healthy. You know, the Dolphins were supposed to be a good defense coming into the year. They got hurt. They've been terrible. Like, there's only so many games you can win on the on the strength of your defense. Look at the Jets, right? And and so I, I think that is going to hold these Browns back from anything relevant, in my opinion. Now, Beat Gamer brings up a good point. Uh, the Browns' defense stat pads. I mean, they beat up some really bad offenses. I will say this, though, like, their defense is damn good at all levels and at everything. If their offense can just be above average, which, you know, when you have a $250 million quarterback, you want a little bit more than above average. But if he can be better than Zach Wilson, they probably can get him into the playoffs uh, by nature of how weak the rest of their schedule is. And we'll talk about that. Um, I guess uh, my, my, my question is, I don't know. I don't know what this offense is. I, I like, I'm done thinking this offense could be very good. Uh, the run game isn't going to be good enough. Their O-line is now banged up. And frankly, Watson is not the guy I thought he was. But I think it's going to be better than it has been. So I'm still trying to learn about Cleveland. And maybe this Baltimore game this week, which is a massive game, is going to is gonna teach me a little bit about, uh, about how good Cleveland is. What about Pittsburgh, Clark? Um, what do you like? What are you optimistic about? 
uh, outside of the voodoo magic that they uh, that they seem to channel and what do you dislike uh, about them and are concerned about well obviously they've been very fortunate to have the record that they have but what's interesting about a team like pittsburgh is they yes yes they their record is better than the quality of play that they've put on the field so far but they've also been really injured at key spots and getting healthy so some of that offsets right like they got away with all these wins when cam hayward was on ir and and deontay johnson was on ir and kenny pickett was in and out of injury and now they're they're kind of clicking as a team and they already have the record and sometimes we see teams like this that have been way overperforming start to believe in themselves and mm-hmm. it like impacts the way they play on the field so i do think this is a team heading in the right direction the problem is uh, I don't think they can really compete with the best teams in the NFL. I think I think they're the kind of team that like is on that pendulum where if they can win the offensive line battle and get the run game going, and they can win the defensive line battle and get pressure in the backfield, like they're going to beat just about any bad team. But if they go up against a team that can actually beat their defense, and then Kenny Pickett's forced, you know, to play from behind and not you know win a 13-10, 16-13 kind of game, I just don't see their offense being good enough and consistent enough to get the job done. So. This is a team that's going to be very schedule dependent down the stretch. I know they play the Bengals twice and they've got some other tough games on the schedule. So um, it, it's going to be dicey for them. You know, if, if they do make the playoffs, I kind of feel like they're just going to be fodder for whichever team they play uh, in round one and just get destroyed. So not not too optimistic on the Steelers, but you can never count them out. Last Thursday, their first drive, they march out down the field, score a touchdown, look really good. And I text uh, I text somebody say, hey, man, um, Matt Canada drew up a kind of pretty good scripted plays. And he's he's like, listen, it's just one drive. And like three drives later, Pickett's missing. Like Pickett has accuracy issues. He misses some yeah. throws very off target that I can't understand why. And I'm just like, oh, no, this offense isn't good. Like there's you try to see the optimism. But every time I do, I, I, I just fall back to like, I don't like their offensive scheme. I don't like their O-line. I don't like their QB. I like Deontay Johnson. That's it. And Jalen Warden. I like two pieces on their offense and I don't like much else. All right. Cincinnati like optimism, dislike concern. Um, I pulled up the stats of Joe Burrow's last four games and like he's completing 76% of his passes, 10 touchdowns to only two INTs, fifth in EPA per play, number one in success rate, four and oh, including wins over Seattle, San Francisco and Buffalo. Clearly, Joe Burrow is back uh, and playing at a very high level. And I, I, even though we both think that their defense is quite soft, when you have an elite offense, you have a chance to win every game, right? That, that It's as simple as that in this NFL? I mean, yeah, and their defense is improving. I, I think having a good defensive coordinator and some young players that have been thrust into starting roles – I think it was it's reasonable to anticipate them improving over the year. And I think we've seen that. Like they played the Bills, you know, pretty tough. I mean, they got they got away with some stuff. Like it's always nice when the opponent fumbles the ball and on the eleven yard line on a first down catch. But um, but I thought overall they they you know they got to Josh Allen, they forced mistakes, they they got they got Josh Allen down, which is impressive. Um, so I think this is a defense that we should be, you know periodically upgrading based if their play continues to improve i still don't think they're where they were last year so this isn't a team that's going to be carried by the defense the way it has been in the past but joe burrow is just operating in such a confident competent manner like he he looks at what the defense is doing and he's like look i'm gonna stretch the field i'm gonna throw deep every now and then and then that forces defenses to kind of play that zone especially a team like the bills that love to play in that soft zone 
And he says, okay, fine. You do that. And I'm going to get six, seven yards on first down every time. Like I'm, I'm going to find the tight end. I'm going to find the running back in the flat. I'm going to find the, you know, the out route and place it perfectly on the sideline for an easy catch. Like his placement and consistency and vision is just so consistent and he's avoiding mistakes. This is going to be a very, very difficult team to get off the field in crucial moments, even if you have a good defense. So yeah, the Bengals, the Bengals are back. Um, they, they should be a playoff team. Um, but I think them, you know, projecting as a wild card, which we'll get into the the odds here in a second, but yeah. I think that will uh, lower their odds at a Super Bowl run. But uh, they're definitely going to be competitive. You know, uh, oftentimes we try to slap the label "it" factor on a lot of guys like Kenny Pickett or Eli Manning to, and and basically I think it's an excuse to say, hey, I know a lot of what they show you is bad. <laughs> but they occasionally make a really good clutch play in the fourth quarter, right? And we use it as like a, a, a band-aid for all the bad play, right? Or you look at, you know, you look at Mahomes and, and Josh Allen, it's pretty easy to see that their physical tools are off the charts. Joe Burrow doesn't have those, but his his the game in between his, his head, in between his ears is very good. And if ever there was a quarterback who had the it factor, charisma, whatever you want to call it, likability, Joe Burrow has that like he has that in spades you believe in him whenever he's on the field that yeah I think this Bengals team's about to score a touchdown when we need it most and I can I can tell you people are starting to get excited about the Bengals uh I bet you the liability on Bengals Super Bowl went up for a lot of sports books after they beat Buffalo let's look at the division prices um and I also uh want to look at the schedule because the Baltimore Ravens right now, they're minus 146 to win the AFC North. The Bengals plus 272. Cleveland plus 605. Pittsburgh plus 856. But, Clark, I want to quickly go through each team's schedule for context because the Ravens have a very gauntlet of a schedule. Uh, let's pull up the Ravens first. They got Cleveland at home, followed by Cincinnati at home, at the Chargers, home to the Rams, at Jacksonville, at San Fran, home to Miami. That's a hell of a schedule. Uh, let's look at the other teams in the division if we can, Jason. Maybe uh, Cincinnati Cincinnati first. And then um, Cincinnati is home to Houston, at Baltimore, home to Pittsburgh, at Jacksonville, home to Indy, home to Minnesota, at Pittsburgh, at Kansas City. I don't include the Week 18 games, Clark, because we don't know intent uh, on who's going to play what starters and whatnot. But a significantly easier schedule. If we can pull up Cleveland and Pittsburgh really quickly. Cleveland is at Baltimore, home to Pittsburgh, at Denver, at LA Rams, home to Jacksonville, home to Chicago, at Houston, home to the Jets. And then finally, if we can pull up Pittsburgh. Um, Pittsburgh is home to Green Bay, at Cleveland, at Cincy, home to Arizona, home to New England, at the Colts, home to the Bengals, at Seattle. So Baltimore is... Uh, being looked at as potentially the best team in the league. And people will say, well, why is their division price so short? Well, the schedule is brutal in comparison to the other teams in their division. Clark, when you start to look at the division prices, and Jason, if we can pull those up again, um, do you have a side that you, uh, if you could back something here, is there a side you have a, a better leaning on? You know, I think the... Bengals visiting Baltimore is going to end up being a massive leverage game for this, for this division. And I, you know, the Ravens destroyed the Bengals in the first game and it wasn't just Joe Burrow. Like the, the Bengals are unable to generate any kind of pass rush against Lamar Jackson. Um, and obviously playing in Baltimore, the, the Ravens are going to be favored, you know, unless something drastic changes. Um, but I think 
you know, playing the Bengals divisional price is an interesting way to take the underdog in that game. Um, mm. I, I mean, obviously you always shop around anytime you take, um, you know, you, you look at division prices because every book's got a different price, but I think, um, I think that would be the only one that I would have any interest in. I actually, you know, full transparency, I have some Ravens plus 300 from preseason. Um, and I'm, I'm not, I, you know, I, I have to consider whether or not to hedge that out with some Bengals. Um, I, I really, I really think this is a situation where it's a two man race, two team race. Um, and so when that's the case, I, I really don't like taking the long shots because, um, you know, typically when you're looking at third and fourth teams in the division, yeah. their odds are dependent on, you know, the top team failing in some way in, in most cases. And when there's really two teams that have to fail, the odds of that happening are really, really low. It's, it's why I, I, you know, before the season, there was a lot of interest in Giants and Commanders division futures because of such high prices. I'm like, there's no way that both the Eagles and the Cowboys fail that dramatically that one of those teams is going to take it. So I'm, I'm off that, you know, right. I think yeah. that's the case here. I think it's Bengals or Ravens. And I think uh, the Bengals at that price is an interesting way to leverage the potential money line in that in that matchup. Yeah, it looks more enticing for sure. Uh, what about Super Bowl odds? If we can pull those up, Jason, um, this is what we talked about. People like I don't know that how many Super Bowl contenders there are in the division, but there might be three or four playoff teams. Right now, the Bengals are uh, so the Ravens are the top team at plus eight fifty four. Bengals plus one thousand forty six. Cleveland plus four thousand thirty nine. And Pittsburgh, oh, you got to scroll down for that. <laughs> Getting 116 to 1 on your money on Pittsburgh. I guess that's how much the, the market thinks of Pittsburgh's chances. Uh, Clark, you said it's a two-team um, race for the division. You probably think that about the Super Bowl. They're both pretty good prices considering if the Ravens are one of the two best teams in football. It's a pretty good price. And then <laughs> the Bengals, are, they're coming, man. They're Like a few weeks ago, you could have got – 40 to one. And, and every week the price seems to diminish as they win. Is there a Super Bowl team that you like at, at, at those odds? Not in the AFC North. I, I, I tend to be a little higher than market on the chiefs, the bills and the dolphins and the Jaguars for that matter. So, you know, there's no value for me on these AFC North teams that I don't think are, are, are really, you know, enticing. But I think what's interesting to look at is the discrepancy between the difference in odds to win the division. in fact, the Ravens are very heavy favorites uh, and then the the Super Bowl odds, which are not all that far apart, considering, yeah. um, which I think I think is interesting because as betters and and just sort of like as humans, we attach ourselves to things that we've seen before, yeah. and and we we know that the Bengals and Joe Burrow can win playoff games, and every time Lamar Jackson has made a playoff run, it's been terrible, and and I think there's this sort of like bias towards you. Well, yeah, you know, we know that the Bengals, if they get it together, like they can win the Super Bowl. But Lamar Jackson, we haven't seen it. But I think that's sometimes correct and sometimes incorrect. In this case, I think that's incorrect because the the way the Ravens are playing offense is dramatically different than what those teams were like when Lamar Jackson was struggling. Mm. Jackson himself is playing quarterback at a higher level than he was years ago. Like he's he's making better decisions in the pocket. He's reading defenses better. He's throwing you know in time better. These are things that matter in playoff games. Um, Ravens defense is also, you know, arguably the best it's been in Lamar Jackson's entire tenure. So I don't think that we should be over leveraging the idea that, well, Burrow just wins in crunch time. I think yeah. if anything, there's value on the Ravens in those, uh, you know, in the Super Bowl market at eight to one, because they really have been playing like the best team in the NFL. Isn't it funny, Clark, how in the offseason, we spent so much time talking about, you know, maybe taking a Ravens under or a Miami under because you have the 
built-in uh, potential edge of an injury concern with Lamar and Tua. And we get in the season, and now it's like not even a consideration anymore. It's like that's why in the offseason, you know, we have a lot of time on our hands and we we find narratives and things to talk about. And we, we talk about injury concern. I always say uh, – I always use Sidney Crosby as the one example of once upon a time, Sidney Crosby was the greatest hockey player in the world and he had like three concussions in like a two-year span, and everybody was worried if he would have a long career. Then he went on to have a great career in multiple Stanley Cups, and I, I don't think um, injury history always determines uh, it being injury-prone, and I think sometimes we we make that mistake, and right now nobody's talking about either of those situations as a concern. Let's look at the um, market. Although, well, although- Lamar, Lamar did come up with a – a bit of a knee in that game against Seattle that, that was super concerning. And then he went right back out there and was fine, I guess. But they all right. Kenny Pickett's the mobile QB and he's had some iffiness and Jalen Hurts has a has oh, a yeah. knee issue. Like, I, think, with Hurts. Yeah, I think running quarterbacks, the more hits you put on your body, uh, yeah. you, there's going to be increase in, in risk injury. No doubt. But we said if we can get the 50 likes, uh, we might be able to give out something that we still like on the board. I don't know if we're close. I don't get to see those numbers. That's the producer's uh, producer gets to see that. If if you guys start liking this uh, content, uh, maybe we'll have something for you at the end of the show. But if not, I'm, I'm very disappointed in you. I'm setting easy goals. 18 likes, that is unacceptable. Get it up to 50, and we might give you something actionable by the end of the show. Um Miami can't get it done. Remember, Nathan, listen, um, a lot of sites that give you true score of a game, not the actual final score. You know, Kevin Cole, PFF, a lot of people had Miami losing by a field goal in that game. And and I still stand by um, some freak instances. And those who banged the Kansas City ticket off the only handicap they had was Mahomes under a field goal. Congratulations. You got to the winning. You got to the window with a subpar handicap uh, and, and a lucky a lucky cover, in my opinion. But that's all I'm going to say about that. Let's go into the current market uh, review. And, Clark, um, let's start off with Indy and New England. It's in, um, it's in London. It, it's right now, it's around one and a half. Um, I guess people will be watching to see if New England is going to uh, get one of their receivers back. And then the Colts, if if Josh Downs will be ready for this game, uh, do you see this line sticking around? This uh, I I don't think the betters are going to strongly feel one side or another here. Yeah, this feels like the right line, and you know if, if you want to get involved in this game, best of luck to you. <laughs> this one this one's interesting to me. Cleveland is uh, six point underdogs to Baltimore. Clark, last week my number said uh, six was too many against Seattle, and I was wrong. Uh, um, I upgraded Baltimore severely. I said, you know what? Clearly, I've missed something with Baltimore. And yet, I do my numbers again. I still can't get to six. But I'm not jumping in um, full-blown into this game because, you know, I don't know how Cleveland's offense is going to look against Baltimore's defense. Do you think the market is going to pick a position on this, or do you think we see a similar close to Seattle last week, six points? You know, it's interesting. The Browns are a really tough team to price, and they're a really tough team for me to gauge market sentiment on because of how much their offense has changed over the course of the year. Like, we don't have a strong sample size of this iteration of the Browns offense with a healthy Deshaun Watson, assuming he's healthy. Um, so, so I, I'm not sure. I, I would, I would anticipate there's interest in the Ravens, and I think we saw. I don't know if it opened five and a half or it got bet down to five and a half early on in kind of like the opening market, but it got snapped up to six pretty quick. And I think 
if it's going to move up to six, to me, it's going to move up towards the seven. Mm-hmm. I just can't imagine, uh, you know, betters that <laughs> ignoring the seven with a defense as strong as the Browns. Um, you know, I, I talked earlier about how Lamar Jackson can struggle when pressure gets to him and the Browns can get that pressure. So I think that I think seven would be too interesting for anyone to for it to stick around. But um, I could see a closing six and a half. I, I think that's that would be my guess. Uh, this game had a lot of movement early. Uh, Houston and Cincinnati. It was above the seven for a while. Uh, it came down below the seven. It's like a six point seven five in Pinnacle. They have it six and a half, minus one twenty three, and that's part of the Jamar Chase has a bad back uh, news. But the market flooded the over today. It went from forty six and a half up to forty eight. So there's some conflicting thoughts about his availability. Um, if Jamar Chase gets cleared, do you think we get back to above seven or do you think seven is as far as this line could go? I think probably s- seven flat. Um, I, I think there was going to be interest in on Houston regardless at seven and a half. And I think the Jamar Chase news just kind of forced all those people into action. Um, and typically what we see when that happens is when the market stabilizes, it's not going to go back up to the seven and a half because I think there'd be too much interest in Houston. Their offense played so well uh, that I think you know, giving them that many points, even on the road, uh, is is the situation you want with a quarterback like CJ Stroud, just to have to cover a, a big number like that. You also don't know if you're going to get a fundamental change in how Houston plays offense. And if, if you got to change your priors on them, because uh, they want to run, right? Uh, D'Amico Ryans and Bobby Slowick come from San Francisco and, you know, run, 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 control the game. And then when they were forced to throw the ball, they found out they have a pretty good quarterback. He's not just a game manager. Let CJ Stroud sling. He's got some weapons, you know. Uh, all look yeah, good. also, shout out Tank Dell. And, I mean, they all played well, but, like, Tank Dell killed it on that last drive and, yeah. and at other points throughout the game. Like, he is a baller. And CJ Stroud is getting all the credit and and well-deserved. But, man, Tank Dell can play. Clark, you think if I bother Pinnacle, they'll grade uh, my C.J. Stroud Offensive Rookie of the Year ticket right now? <laughs> no. I, I, you know, barring uh, barring some sort of Bryce Young downturn, uh, C.J. Stroud is going to be the Offensive Rookie of the Year, and the Carolina front office is all going to get booted out the door in a year and a half for picking the wrong the wrong quarterback. Let's look at San Fran Jacksonville. Probably the most intriguing game to me. The game, uh, there was moments there it was under three. Uh, it, it was, you know, I think there were some people that might like Jacksonville at three. I think a lot of people like San Fran at two and a half and they couldn't afford to hang it that long. I think we're at three and it feels like this is the right number uh, in this spot. The injuries to watch, of course, is Debo Samuel um, and Trent Williams, although I think Trent Williams has a good shot of playing. And then, uh, you know, number one corner for Jacksonville, uh, Tyson Campbell is the one to watch. Um, the, the over took money too. Uh, we are now at 45 and a half and it's juiced to the over and it could get higher. Um, does this line feel right about right? Um, but it's going to be a game where people probably have a lot of interest in betting one side or the other, depending on how strong your Jacksonville, uh, priors are and how strong and how much you didn't downgrade the 49ers. Cause I didn't really downgrade them the last three weeks. I, despite being owned three, I actually think San Fran has looked pretty damn good uh and, and could have won two of those games uh for sure yeah i think fully healthy assuming debo samuel and trent williams are back and they have no defensive injuries then i, I think the niners are reasonably the number one team in the nfl in, in terms of offense and defense combined um whether or not they should be laying a full three or you know potentially more than 
three. I think a three and a half might have popped open when the when the money came in early, but I think this is just going to stick on the three because there's too much interest in Jacksonville plus three and a half at home. Too much interest in the 49ers minus two and a half. Um, so I think this is just a you know which which side of the three do you want? And uh, it, it, it's it's going to be a fun game to watch. And I think a very telling game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could see a lot of overreactions coming out of this one. Like that's so so sometimes with these types of high profile games, uh, oh, yeah. it's it's more about you know how do I react to the market sentiment following this game rather than like getting overly involved in this game. Totally. Uh, I just want to go through a couple more, um, and I want to talk about Tennessee. Uh, Will Levis is going to start for them this week. It was announced uh, just as we were coming on to the show. I I started off saying, you know, uh, Will Levis is at least a three and a half point downgrade to, from Tannehill just because it was the complete unknown. And then I saw one game. I said, OK, maybe he's not that much, maybe two and a half. And then I saw another game. And I said, oh, this kid's pretty actually pretty good. He like he has a little bit of Justin Herbert to his game. A big, strong arm doesn't get frazzled in the pocket and will let it sling. So like my difference is like minuscule now between Tannehill and Levis. And I think that's probably been the process for a bunch of people. Is that kind of how how you uh, more data points you get on Levis? You realize, okay, there isn't much of a downgrade. This this offense maybe even operates a little better because there's a downfield uh, downfield element that maybe didn't exist with Ryan Tannehill. Absolutely. I, I'm at the I'm at Ryan Tannehill levels for Titans offense with Levis. Uh, not upgrade, not downgrade. It's different. I think Levis is a little bit more variance, like you said. Like he can make more throws downfield. He's more willing to throw it downfield, but he's also less reliable in the clutch and on third down. Uh, Tannehill was very reliable in those types of situations, which changes the handicap a little bit depending on what kind of defense you're facing. But just pure numbers equal Levis to Tannehill. Clark, uh, two more games. Um, I remember talking about last week the dynamic of a first year, a first start quarterback, and we overreact to to, to them and like assume it's a, a drastic downgrade. It happened with Levis two weeks ago against Atlanta. Last week, I made a very strong correction to Minnesota. I said, you know, Kirk Cousins out. I said, what's the most aggressive number I can pick as a downgrade to the next quarterback? And even with that aggressive downgrade, I couldn't get past Atlanta minus three, 3.25. Just yeah, because I think Minnesota's a far better team. So like when it was four and a half and fives popping up, you know, you, you had to take advantage of it. Um, so the Atlanta Arizona game, I think the other thing that people over inflate is when a quarterback returns after a long layoff and it's like, oh, let's the way we used to remember Kyler Murray is the way he's going to look in week one. And sometimes it takes a, a, a game or two for him to look uh, like his old self. Um, the line was two and a half. The news came out, came down to pick him. Uh, a lot of people wanted to flood in on Arizona. And it, since then, the lines moved back to one, uh, one and a half. What do you, how do you handle a, a quarterback after a long layoff coming off? Like, you know, when Dak Prescott missed six weeks last year because of Cooper Rush, People assumed, you know, doubt the instant upgrade on on Dak's first game, and sometimes that's not the case. How do you react to a, record, a returning quarterback? Yeah, generally, I agree with you. Um, I think there are some specifics here that might make that not the case. Uh, the first is that Kyler Murray has been practicing for several weeks now. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- this is a long term injury that he's been rehabbing for, and they're not rushing him back. This isn't a situation where he misses a game and then comes back and you expect him to be hundred percent. This is, this is a fresh Kyler Murray. I think they really waited until he was hundred percent ready. They're going to yeah. give him the full practice suite of reps, you know, this week. And I think he's going to be, 
you know, I don't think there's going to be any injury concerns. Um, and the second thing that matters, I think, is I I really did not like Cliff Kingsbury's offense. I thought he was a terrible, terrible coach. Um, you know, you brought it up at the top of the hour, like when when Kyler Murray got past his scripted plays, he was at his best, just kind of playing football. Yeah. And so so you know, his he's less reliant on that kind of game plan stuff. So the idea that he's going out there in a new offensive system and you know doesn't you know new coaches all that kind of stuff like that doesn't bother me. That actually is kind of a fun thing. Like. Who knows what Kyler Murray is going to be like? I I know that when third down comes, he can escape pressure and make throws downfield, and that's going to bring an element to the game that the Cardinals have lacked all year. So um, the other thing is the Cardinals' defense has been playing secretly or you know quietly kind of well the last couple of weeks. Like mm-hmm. you know the Ravens didn't look great on offense against them, the Browns didn't look great on offense against them. At some point, you have to say, okay, well maybe you know now Buda Baker back and some of the other guys, Jalen Thompson, that have been in and out of the lineup for the Cardinals, like maybe their defense is actually playing okay. And they're not just a, you know, walk over kind of defense. Now you got Kyler Murray coming back on offense and you got some speed, you know, there James Connor might be activated this week. I think there's so many reasons why the Cardinals, you know, they're indicating that they're not tanking. They want to win games. They want to build some momentum. And I think, I think I wouldn't be surprised to see Cardinals money come back into the market and push them towards favorites in this one. Yeah. We don't know if the Cardinals, value Kyler higher than the other two quarterbacks in the draft. And maybe they're thinking we can get a boatload of draft capital for this pick. Or if Kyler looks good and we win a few too many games, we can still get Marvin Harrison, which will be really good with Kyler Murray. So I'm with you in that. And I think the James Conner thing is key because there's three data points you got to consider with with the Cardinals. It was the pre James Conner injury Cardinals who had a pretty good offense. The last few weeks, it hasn't looked as good when they lost that running element. And now it's also adding in Kyler. And all of a sudden, there's a lot of different dynamics here uh, at play. Joey Graybeal, uh, I think that's the mini golfer. He's very good. He says, Miami can get it done against crappy teams. I think he wants to start a fight with me. Joey, don't make me retire as a sports better. Come on the tour and beat you in mini golf because I'll do it, my friend. I'm confident that I will beat you with enough practice on the mini golf field. Okay, so don't pick a fight with me. Uh, All right. Yeah. I was going to address R.I.P. Tato comment. Never, ever tease to plus two and a half. Never, ever, ever. Like I, I'm the, I'm the guy who's, who recommends teasers that aren't popular. Like I know I'm not just a one guy, but three and a half to two and a half is not a, not a teaser option. You know what? There's a lot of bad teasers you can do. Like, uh, teasing down to the three or, or up to the seven, or you could tease a big, big favorite. I think going from three and a half to two and a half might be the absolute stone cold worst teaser you can do <laughs> possible. Joey, don't, don't laugh, man. I'm serious. I, I got a lot of free time when football's not on. I'll, I'll start hitting the mini golf and I'll, I'll fly out with Rob Pizzola and beat you, man. I don't even need a, a, a handicap. Just give me a, give me a straight up matchup. Clark, let's look at Thursday night football. Um, this is a good one. You know, uh, we had a, a, a comment going uh, uh, between us, um, myself and Jason Cooper, Tyson Badgett and Bryce Young. OK, let's throw away the fact that Bryce Young is the first overall pick and you probably want to buy some of his uh, probably want to buy some of his pedigree for the long term in a one game matchup. Who do you like more, uh, Tyson Badgett or Bryce Young? Well, you know, if that's the question, then it's close. But I think the other question is what I talked about earlier about how well the Bears offensive line and defense has been playing recently, whereas the Panthers have nothing going for them. Uh, this is a spot where I can only look to the Bears, but laying over a field goal, I think it's three and a half, four, I think four on pinnacle right now. 
um, is, is just a, you know, it's, it's queasy. It's Thursday night. It's, it's weird, but um, I, it's bears are pass for me. I just can't get involved with the Panthers. Okay, yeah. Uh, here's what I will say. Carolina's defense has actually looked pretty good the last two weeks. Yeah, like they, it's true. That's were, true. They were historically bad. And then all of a sudden they showed some life. Now, I don't know what happened because everyone's injured. Brian Burns now is yep, concussion. He missed the game and CJ Henderson's banged up. Uh, I'm with you. Um, <laughs> I can only look to the look to the Bears here, and I have no interest uh, at any number above three. Um, Bryce Young, in the day that uh, CJ Stroud goes for five touchdowns and 470 yards, Bryce Young throws three interceptions, two pick sixes, two pick sixes. and it could never be more evident. Eight games into a career that the Carolina Panthers made a gigantic blunder. I think this is the earliest we could ever declare that they they took the wrong quarterback uh, at, at first overall. So that Miami would have a better chance to win with you at QE than you beating me at any mini golf putt putt. You know what, Pozzola, man, let's go. Give me the company credit card. I'd fly me out, man. Joey's talking a little too spicy for my liking here. Eric says... Bear survivor. Eric likes to live dangerously. Uh, if you're trying to win a long-term survivor and you want to take Chicago in a spot where nobody else would, maybe. But man, this is a this is a risky spot. You're really banking on Tyson Bajan for your survivor life. That's would you do it, Clark? No, probably not. I mean, this year for one of my entries, like every year, I always try to play this game where I'm like, okay, I got to pick an unpopular team that I think you know is going to win because I don't want you know I, I want the odds to be in my favor. But this year for one entry, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to pick the team that I think is the most likely of the teams I have left and not think about anything else. And that's the only entry that's still alive for me. And I'm taking the Cowboys this week. So whatever. <laughs> I, I am, I'm also going off script. I had initially Cincinnati and I said, you know what? I'm going to go Cowboys off script here. Uh, I, I had to readjust my map to start fading Tommy DeVito and the New York Giants because I'm not convinced that Tommy DeVito isn't the nephew of some executive on the Giants because there's no way this guy played quarterback in college football. I think the film is all made up, uh, AI, uh, all fake film. There's no way this guy is a quarterback. Uh, Clark, I don't think we got to our number, which is disappointing, but if you think that I would beat Joey Graybeal on the mini putt course, I want to like for that because – I don't think Joey's very good. I've never seen him golf, but I think I could beat him. I've heard his name. Uh, it's good enough for me. Uh, all kidding aside, Joey, thank you for uh, always uh, contributing and joining us. We appreciate it. We have a lot of fun on Tuesdays. On Wednesdays, they have a lot of fun as well. Eric uh, Eager, Suma, and Hitman join Rob Pozzola. They break down their best bets, and they break down games from a betting perspective. Drop us a like before you bounce. That's it for me. Thanks to Sharp Clark. Thanks to producer Jason and thanks to you, the audience. Until next time.